before we get into the show, I'd like to request a couple of things from you, if you wouldn't mind. When you've got the time, I'd love you to head over to bjjstrength.com forward slash gymballfree, J-Y-M-B-A-L-L free. I'll put the link below, and that's for you to get access to some free content from the incredibly well-received and my latest program, the Gym Ball for BJJ course, which is using a gym ball or a stability ball, depending on what terms you use, to dramatically improve um, your movement for jiu-jitsu. I'll put the link below, but head head over to that page and you can get access to some free content from it or you could even head to bjjstrength.com forward slash gym ball if you want to take a look at the full program and take a look at all the testimonials you know whatever is best for you um but if you're interested in strength and conditioning um you know one-on-one coaching some of the other free material that i have like the breathing for bjj course you can also head to bjjstrength.com forward slash programs Unfortunately, even though I'm British, I've used the um, American spelling because I think it's easier and quicker. So a program spelled P-R-O-G-R-A-M-S. Again, I'll I'll put the link below. Um, But more than anything, guys, if you do enjoy the content that I put out on the podcast or on any other channel, really, one of the biggest ways that you can support me and support the podcast is by spreading the word um, about the show, whether it's via social media, put, put in a link of one of your favorite shows and sharing it to people uh, on your Facebook page, on your Instagram, me- sending it to people, or just when you're talking to people at the gym and you know, you're know you sharing some of maybe some of the knowledge that you've picked up, let people know where they can find the show. And what really, really helps more than anything to help grow the audience and grow the podcast is go on to whatever platform you use, whether it's iTunes or another platform, if you could leave a rating and a review, um, I'll be sure to you know give, give as many people as I can a shout out when they do that. But these things are an incredible help for the podcast and inc- an incredible way to support the show. But with that, guys, you know check out the links in the show notes if you've got the time. Otherwise, let's get on with the show. You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast. Helping you be your best physically, on the mats and off the mats. The BJJ Strength Podcast. With your host, BJJ Black Belt and physical optimization specialist, Lawrence Griffiths. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the BJJ Strength Podcast. Today I've decided to talk about several things. I was going to say 10 things. I don't know if it's 10 things. It could be 9 things. But things I wish I'd known as a white belt. And these are things that maybe you know some of them I didn't know as a white belt. Maybe some of them I did know as a white belt. But maybe I wish I'd focused on more earlier on in my jiu-jitsu career maybe is another way to frame it so stuff that I've learned throughout my journey that I think would be if I could go back and speak to myself right at the beginning of my jiu-jitsu journey I wish I would have known these things and I'm going to I'm going to stay away from mostly stay away from the strength and conditioning type material because I think a lot of that is covered um, in previous episodes um, I'm going to think more about you know all, yeah, the approach to training that I maybe would have t- taken the, the stuff that I would have focused on much earlier on you know, stuff that I've you know some stuff I've only really started focusing on as a black belt and I think would have made a huge difference to me the other thing I would say before we get into the material is that uh, let me be very clear I've had excellent coaches I've had excellent coaches. I've been blessed to have trained with some really great people throughout my years and and still do today. So this is not a reflection on I didn't get taught these things. But one of the things I've noticed now that uh, coaching jiu-jitsu is is a much more prominent part of my life is quite often when I'm teaching that there are things, there are details that are so intuitive to me that I do them naturally, I forget to talk about them when, I, when I'm when i teaching. So sometimes, you know, give give, a, give us black belts a, a break, you know, we we, uh, <laughs> we forget things, right? We I get asked questions and, and someone will say, well, what are you doing there with your foot or your hip? And I'll go, ah, oh, actually, I don't know, but I am doing something with my foot or my hip or the grip 
whatever the case may be. So this is absolutely not a reflection on the coaches I've had. I've had excellent coaches. Um, so I wanted to make that very clear before getting into the show. And just before we get into you know, the, the, the knowledge that I hope to share that will hopefully be helpful for, for you, for you guys, uh, I've got some really good guests coming up on the show. I'm I'm bringing on someone that's uh, you know a very a very excellent practitioner of dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, something I've talked about quite a bit in the past, and it's a it's a it's a very hot topic personally for me at the moment. So keen to get that person on, um, and also I'm going to get another uh, jujitsu strength and conditioning coach uh, over an island on hopefully hopefully next week and i've got the, the masters worlds next week as well so maybe we'll get to talk a little bit about that but anyway let's get into it things i wish i'd known as a white belt and this is the first the first thing i want to talk about is good jujitsu is not nice i made the mistake when I first started training jiu-jitsu, thinking that good jiu-jitsu was always smooth and always flowed and was always almost effortless. And I think I was too nice for a lot of my time training jiu-jitsu. What I realize now is when I see someone, you know, you see a highlight video, some of the videos maybe I was watching as I was first starting jiu-jitsu, and when these people flow effort, effort, effortlessly between movements and between positions, it's because they've had so many years of practice. It takes a lot of time to get to that point. And you, know, you can't, and even when you get to that point, if you're fighting someone who's the same skill level as you, it's a battle. It, it can be a real grindy battle. It's not always effortlessly smooth you don't just catch the arm without any effort and roll over and get an arm bar yeah that's that's the ideal that we all we all try to uh, attain um i remember we had share share i'll share a story when i first moved to california i was oh, a good friend of mine a professor Orlando Alonso, uh, who runs one of the carlson gracie schools here in southern california it's, it's the first place I started training when I when I moved over here, and we were no, we were both black belts at this point. And I don't know. I think he may have. I think we may have had this discussion before I moved over when we were still brown belts training. But when so it happened relatively late on, later on in my you know so far still quite short jujitsu career. Even though it's eleven years, I still think that's quite short um, when you when you think about some people. But anyway, we, we were having a conversation, and he was he was telling me that. You know, you need to be not be so damn nice. Um, you know, when you get a head control on someone in side control, in half guard or whatever position that may be, you know, be. I want to. I want to say the word nasty, not nasty in a malicious way, but you want to make the person suffer a little bit in a lot of positions in jujitsu. And I'll talk about pressure specifically a little bit later on, but. You know, make the person uncomfortable. Make the person suffer. They shouldn't be. You know, don't 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 allow them to breathe. Don't allow them to settle into a position. You know, it's all it's all well and good being flowy, being nice, and being smooth. But it takes a lot of time to get to that. And even once you get to that level, you can't do it against all all your opponents. Maybe you can do it against someone who's much less uh, you know has much less experience than you. But sometimes even someone with you know relatively not that much experience who's strong and physical it's not always at least in my experience right there are people that would be you know so far so far advanced compared to myself that can do these things but there are times when good jujitsu is not nice so that's that's lesson number one that i would i would like to have given to myself very early on um you know make people uncomfortable um don't make it easy for them and often using those reactions when your jujitsu is not nice, and it's not in a malicious way, but it's you know make that person suffer a little bit. It's a battle. It's still a fight. Um, so yeah, that's lesson number one. I wish I could have given to myself. Now lesson number two. This is something that uh, gets talked about, kind of, but not openly, and not maybe as much particularly as it would do in other martial arts like judo, and that's grips, grips, grips. Grips 
are everything in jiu-jitsu. It could be grips using your hands or it could be grips or creating hooks with your legs, whatever the case may be. But creating a grip and controlling someone, that's where everything starts. If, if someone doesn't have a grip on you, they can't execute their game. So if you nullify someone's grips, you, you, you completely nullify their game. And likewise, if you've got the dominant and controlling grips, you've all, you've already got the upper hand. And it's something that's maybe so obvious when you talk about it, but I don't think I spend enough time focusing on grip fighting and specifically in every entry point in jiu-jitsu thinking about grip fighting. Yes, on and off. You know, I, I'm indirectly thinking about the grips that I know that I need to get a certain collar grip to perform a certain choke or a certain leg grip to perform a certain sweep. Yes, you know, I I've, I've known that and known that for some time, but only in the last six months or so, maybe even less, have I been super focused on grip fighting before anything else. And it's made a huge difference in my game, completely disrupting people's games to the point where they can't uh, can't do anything against me because I just control the grips. Of course, that doesn't happen with every, every person that I roll with. But I've seen a huge benefit of being, you know, maniacally focused on grips. And I think in judo, at least with the judo people that I've trained with, it seems to be a lot more prominent and talked about a lot more prominently. Um, so what I would say, what I would say to myself as as a, I was going to say a young white belt, I was 25 when I started, a younger white belt is that always focus on grips first. And even even without knowing specifically what grips I need to go for, just knowing that I want to stop someone get, getting grips and try to get to my grips first, I think would have been a huge advantage. So that's number two, grips, grips, grips. So so important, I don't think it gets talked, talked about enough. Um, so yeah. That would be the second piece of advice I would give myself to my to my younger white belt self. And number three, number three is pressure. Pressure is I knew about pressure, right? I was always because I started off. I was about two hundred and ten pounds. I was one of the um, definitely on the upper end of the size in my you know my first gym and uh, uh, Hodger, the Hodger Gracie gym box actually now. They're going to be now newly named soon as Grand Union uh, BJJ and uh, Caesar Lima. So a big shout out to Caesar if you're listening. Um, you know he was always telling me to, to to be heavy, right? He was always telling me to to apply more pressure because I was bigger. Um, I just don't think this is this was less that I didn't know that I needed to be heavy, um, unless maybe I could have focused on it more, but. I don't think I necessarily knew how heavy I was. Oh no, sorry, I didn't. I didn't know how to be heavy as well as I did now. So I'd love to be able to tell my white belt self, "Look, these are the things that you should focus on to make yourself heavy." And I'll try to talk through it, which may be a little bit hard without visual examples, but I'll do my best. But the first thing that I would say is that if you're not making people tap with your pressure you're not heavy enough. That'd be the, that would be the first thing that I would say. Now, it's not that you're going to have enough pressure in all situations to be able to make a, a person tap or every person tap. If you weigh 150 pounds and you try to tap a 250 pound person with pressure, it's going to be a lot more difficult, granted. But there should be at least some occasions where you can tap people with pressure. Um, when I teach side control classes, or half guard classes, or when we're fighting on top, one of the first things that I always talk about is head pressure, and I show people how to tap people with head pressure. And once I've shown people in the class the details, nearly every person in the class can do it, at least in at least when we're drilling. Live sparring is a little bit different, it takes time to get used to it, but I've been able to show everyone that I've shown that how to tap someone with head pressure. So I think that's a good a good uh, you know mark of how heavy you actually are again it's not going to apply to everyone in every situation but at least now and again i think you should be if you're not making okay let's let's at least put it this way if you're not making people tap then at least making them 
grown and, and, and really kind of squirm to get off you and then using those reactions against them right that's you know one of the things about it goes back to good jujitsu be not be nice so that's the first question that i think you could ask yourself or i would ask my white belt self to ask myself um <laughs> it's a bit of a head fuck uh, but you know are you making people tap the pressure and i certainly wasn't you know way back then but have de- kind of developed it a lot more a lot more over time um but i think there are a couple of key concepts when it comes when it comes to pressure and i'll try to cover you know three or four of them it's not this is not a complete overview of how to apply pressure but just some of the key lessons i would give my white belt self uh, the first one it would be are you wasting your weight on the floor or are you applying as much of your weight as possible into your opponent i'll use side control as an example if you're in side control and you've got both of your knees on the floor one knee into the hip one knee into the shoulder and maybe both elbows on the floor on the other side yes that's a very good way to control someone in side control because you can control both hips and both shoulders but doesn't allow you to have that much pressure as opposed to only your sternum and maybe your hips um only the only those parts of your body really in contact with um with your opponent and the only things that are actually in contact with the floor from your body are your toes so that that, that kind of leads into maybe you know a second concept of you know minimizing the amount the point of contact you have into your opponent and applying as much pressure through that smaller point of contact because pressure is um i think the don't quote me on this exactly but it's um you know mass divided by area is it mass divided by area or mass times area essentially you're at the same weight through a smaller um you know area is going to achieve much more pressure so i'm kind of sidetracking into something else but you know if i'm if i'm placing my levers my some my, my points of base on the floor as opposed to my opponent a lot of that weight then goes through the floor as opposed to minimizing my contact with the floor but still having stability and applying as much pressure and waiting to my opponent that would be the first thing that i would say the next thing that i would say is think about the direction of where you're applying the pressure again i will give i'll give i'll give mount i'll use mount as an example so let's say you're in mount and you've got good control over someone and you're starting to go for the cross collar with your left hand so that means the base on the left hand side of your body is now gone if you can picture that now i've got to think about where i place my weight in terms of where my opponent could move now if i'm if i've taken away my left base my opponent has the best opportunity to sweep me to my left side so if i keep my weight central on my opponent or even worse over to the left side my weight is already in the direction that my opponent may try to sweep me so i do the opposite i place my weight in the opposite direction to where the person could sweep me so i place my weight on the right hand side now they've got a shift or a much greater portion of my weight all the way from my right hand side it would be their left hand side because they're on the floor but you know from on my on my right hand side to try to sweep me to the left so they've got to try to shift all that weight all that weight across and we can start talking about levers but i, I don't want to get too detailed but essentially because i've placed more of my weight or as much of my weight as possible in the opposite the opposite direction to where they're most likely to sweep me i've become much heavier or i feel much heavier because i'm not any heavier right i'm still the same mass but where i place my weight and my weight weight placement is incredibly important that's the next thing that i would say um to to my white belt self in terms of pressure the first is you know maximizing the amount of weight through my opponent and the second one would be placing my weight in the in the opposite direction of where my 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 partner or opponent is most likely to sweep me the third thing probably the third and final thing i'll talk about in pressure which is not this is not a conclusive discussion on pressure by by any means um but just to think of some of the key lessons that i would provide 
is the third thing is to actually use the levers that you are sorry the, the point of base you have on the floor to drive into your opponent now I'm, i'll go back to side control as an example now imagine i'm in side control and you know i've got my chest with sternum to sternum i've taken everything off the floor apart from my toes so i'm maximizing my weight on my partner but my legs let's say my legs are fairly passive now if i'm fairly passive here yes you know i can sink into my opponent and make myself heavy but let's think about you know where where am i most likely where is my opponent most likely to move they're most likely to try to bridge up and into me to create space to move their hips away which i could you know there's a number of ways to stop that but one way is going to be to make my legs active so all that means is you know having a slight slight bend in your legs um don't have straight legs so you've got a bit of movement you can follow your partner having active toes my professor tom crone and my professor talked about this all the time active toes and pushing off with the toes so you've created a little bit of tension in your legs so it's like your um think about it this way if you were standing up against a wall and you had your sternum to to the wall and then you no no hands touching the wall and you have, and you you kind of your legs are slightly bent and you're kind of driving and squ- squat would be the squat would be the wrong word but i'm trying to push the wall over my all wall over with my chest if you do push a wall over with your chest let me know because you're a monster but that's not going to happen but you're trying to push the wall over just with your chest you wouldn't have your legs entirely bent and you wouldn't have your legs entirely straight you'd have a little a little bit of bend in the legs and you'd have a drive and a tension cr- created all the way through your toes up through your legs through your through your core and into your chest which is the point of contact with the wall or the point of contact with your opponent if we take that example back to side control so that would be the third thing that i would say about pressure um is you know what was the what was the, what was the first thing i said so the first thing i said was um maximizing your weight on your opponent the second thing i said was uh, think about the direction in which you apply the pressure uh, as opposed to the opposite direction of where that person could move and then the third thing would be you know have active legs or if you're basing off with one of your hands and use that to drive into your opponent it doesn't need to be with a lot of tension just a little bit of t- a little bit of tension and you can apply more as they react but that would be the third thing i would give to my white belt self about pressure now number four and apologies if i keep hitting this little um, metal piece on my mic it's rattling if you can hear that um i'll try to stop that but for the fourth lesson i would try to pass on to my white belt self would be be assertive now again this goes back a little bit to what i was talking about with number one good jujitsu is not nice and i forget where i read this it's probably not a new to not a new quote for you but being skillful and being lazy in jiu-jitsu are not the same thing it takes time to get to a point of effortless flow as, as i've already talked about but part of you know being yeah, part of being assertive is t- again ties into number one but what i'm trying to talk about is be first be the first person to make the grips be the first person to go for that sweep be the first person to try to go for the pass get to your position first and get be assertive and get to the strong positions first and then fight from those positions so let's um you know let's take an example we're both standing on the feet uh, we'll both start on the feet i want to go to guard then i'm going to be assertive and i'm going to force it to the guard that i want you know delaheva half guard butterfly close guard whatever the case may be but be assertive right take take charge of the situation and take charge of the fight now yes there are absolutely times in training if i'm fighting someone who's you know 160 60 pound brand new white belt yeah i'm gonna let them play a lot more with me and i'm gonna let them come to me so there is absolutely time for that but it takes time and skill uh, time and experience to to build up that skill to be able to do that i I was very guilty um i think in the earlier years of my jiu-jitsu of being not lazy as such I, i don't think i've ever been lazy um but felt that allowing the person to come to me was good jiu-jitsu if you are if that's part of your game then be assertive in the way you apply it as in 
uh, almost doesn't make sense but I suppose what I'm trying to say you, you're doing it with intention if you're doing it with intention as part of your game that's fair enough but try to get to the positions that are strong for you and learn to do that and this applies a, a hell of a lot um, particularly when you're, you're a competitor the more you can learn to be to, learn to be assertive and learn to get to the positions your positions of strength quicker I believe the better you know you'll perform in a competition scenario that's something I definitely wish I had learnt a long, long time ago. So that's number four, is is be assertive. Now, number five, the fifth lesson I would give to my white belt self would be learning to move properly on the bottom. I'm going to try to explain this the best that I can. I, I'm going to link to a vi- I'll link to a video actually um, that I put put up on YouTube probably about you know, nearly well nearly two years ago now, and it's a, a bunch of core exercises that sh- uh, replicates different movement patterns that we have or we would use in jiu-jitsu. And I th- so I'm going a little bit into strength and conditioning, but certain movements like um, you know the pendulum movement in jiu-jitsu, where, you, uh, again, this is very hard to explain. I still struggle to do this movement, but... Uh, let's, let's use a different example that's probably going to be more familiar and easier to explain. So there's there's a, there's a there's an exercise where you know you lie on your back, keep your knees your knees at a right angle and keep your arms up and you rock your legs to one side and the arms to the opposite direction. It's like you're trying to escape a side a straight jacket and you move up and you move your hips and shoulders in opposite direction and you shuffle along the mat. I'm sure everyone's going to be familiar with that. Um, but there are different movement patterns like uh, in closed guard, pulling your knees towards your chest. Um, again, the pendulum sweep is something I think and I just tried to explain. So the pendulum, not pendulum sweep, but the pendulum type movement where you know you kick your le- one leg up and over the opposite shoulder and then as you kick that leg back, you use that momentum to spin your body. There's this, some... Um, you know, really good drills and exercises that you can do off the mat as part of your warm-up before jiu-jitsu, as part of your warm-up before strength and conditioning. And just a short amount of time spent, I think, learning how to, to move on the bottom. And I think the point I'm trying to make is learning how to move on the bottom without having your hands and feet in contact with the floor. I think we tend to learn shrimping very, very well. People tend to learn that, you know, basing with one foot, twisting and... um and driving, driving hips away, people get that, but the ability to move around on the bottom without actually basing off the floor with your hands and feet, that's something that, uh, again, my professor Tom Cronin, is, he's very good at it, um, I, I, do have, I need to get Tom on the show at some point, we've, we've talked about it, but I need to make that happen, um, he's incredibly good at it actually, and I wish I'd spent even with just you know five minutes three times a week with some kind of basic drills i'll put a link to the video that i have that hopefully should give you a, a starting point for what i'm talking about um you know but then you can hopefully maybe i'll do some more videos in the future or you can find your own but learning to move properly on the bottom without having my hands and feet based on the floor once i in the more time i've put into that might i've seen a huge difference in my guard and my guard game and my ability to get the sift get to different positions to get triangles to get omoplatas to get arm bars whatever the case may be um so that's something i wish i'd focused on a bit more um much earlier on in my career so that's lesson five right moving properly on the bottom and what i mean by that is being able to manipulate and move your body without actually having your hands and feet on the floor Lesson number six that I would give to my white belt self is picking up the hips. This links quite nicely with number five. But I, what's the best way to talk about this? Probably thinking about triangles and arm bars from the close guard. But it applies to a lot of different positions, a lot of different sweeps. And one of the things that, again, this goes back to probably something that I knew I was taught, but maybe I wasn't ready to take on that knowledge or wasn't didn't see it clearly enough in my own mind to then apply it to my jiu-jitsu. But if you look at the people that are very good at executing arm bars or triangles, I'll just stick with these two examples from the close guard. 
they're not just trying to swing their legs over. What they first do is shoot their hips very, very high up into the air. And it's almost like you drive up off the shoulders, your body becomes almost like a straight line and you shoot your hips up in the air as high as you can. So you try to meet the person with your hips and then you kick the legs over for the triangle or for the armbar. I've got in the video that I'll post that I just mentioned, there's, there's an, a, a specific exercise you can follow to try to, um, to try to, um, uh, you know, replicate and, and, and train and train this movement. But what I would say to my white belt self is, you know, the next time you go into training and you're try just whatever you're trying to do from close guard, particularly arm bars and triangles or other guards as well, try shooting your hips up to the person first before you initiate the, uh, the other movements with your legs. Because it does, it does a couple of things. Uh, it closes the distance uh, between, you know, your hips and the point that you're trying to attack. And, you know, what is a triangle and an arm bar at its most basic? It's, you know, you closing the distance with your hips either near the shoulder or around someone's neck and shoulders to get the submission. It also gives you, you know, much more leverage over your, your opponent because as you shoot your hips up and climb your legs, you, you can use that to break your posture. Um, and, you're, you know, you, you, you become one rigid, strong structure, which gives you a lot a much more stable base with which to, and stronger base with which to attack from. So that would be number six, um, picking up the hips, particularly in, in, in close guard to shoot your attacks. So lesson number seven I would give to my white belt self, and I was humming and hawing on whether this would be, you know, right up there with... Um, lesson number one actually but it's principles or we can call it we can call it a concept and this is something that I I took on took on board a lot more when I was I think a brown belt I forget exactly the first inspiration for thinking about you know principles and concepts but the idea behind principle a principle based approach to jujitsu is that you can look at certain fundamental rules let's call them rules or certain fundamental aspects of a movement that don't only apply to just that particular submission sweep guard pass whatever the case may be but apply to multiple different positions and the idea that i taught i think a good example would be the idea i talked about during um pressure control actually i'll use a different example that can be applied to pressure now if you think of controlling someone inside control i could say to you well get that you know control control the head and maybe block block one of the hips and okay that's that's a good right it's a good way to think about controlling someone inside control is a very quick example but if i was to explain to you that what we're really doing inside control is trying to pin both hips and both shoulders to the mat. Now, if you think, if you lie on the floor and try to get up and move without picking your shoulders and hips up off the floor, it's impossible. You can't do it. It's like you're pinned to the floor. It's like you're an upside down ladybug or beetle. Now, if I teach you that concept in terms of how to control someone inside control, you can then start to realize that same concept applies when I'm controlling someone in mount, when I'm controlling someone in half guard, when I'm controlling someone, uh, you know, trying to do a knee slice, or even when I'm controlling someone from the back. You know, if I control the hips and shoulders and don't allow the separation from, in, with the back, it's separation from me rather than separation from the floor. If I don't allow that separation, that person, it's very difficult for them to move. Uh, you know, think about the knee slice position, right? When someone defends the knee slice position they typically try to turn into you in most cases what are they doing they're picking up their far shoulder and far hip off the floor and then what the most counters to that involve you know we may talk about an underhook we may talk about doing a leandro low style pass where you put the forearm in the face we may talk about pulling the far arm up all of them are trying to achieve the same thing which is pinning the far hip and far shoulder to the floor so I can then execute my pass. So that's an example of a principle that then applies in many different positions. And I, I wish that I'd thought about this 
earlier on. It's not that you still need to teach. I think you still need to teach jujitsu with the specific moves. But when now when I'm teaching, I try to talk as much as possible about the different principles that apply that apply because I think you can once you understand a certain number of concepts, your learning of the rest of jiu-jitsu becomes so much easier. So that's definitely something I wish that I'd given to my white belt self, is the idea of principles and the idea of concepts. Okay, the next area I want to talk about is reverse engineering. And I believe the definition of reverse engineering, or at least the way I think about reverse engineering, would be taking something and picking it apart almost making it backwards or taking apart you don't make something backwards do you but you take something apart that's already complete uh, and use that to learn how something is put together and reverse engineer how something is is built anyway that's if you're an engineer maybe um maybe it's not even and maybe it's not even an engineering term but that's I think I think you know what I mean by reverse engineering, and I'm going to credit the jujitsu use of engine, reverse engineering to my professor Tom Cronin, and it's something that he talks about a lot. Um, I'm going to use an armbar defense. Let's say you've got an armbar on top. Um, you know you were mounted, but you've transitioned to an armbar, so you're a, you're at a right angle to the person. You know your legs are over the the chest and over the head. Your, your heels are pinched, etc. And you're attacking the arm, and you're trying to break that grip. Now there are many different variations to break that grip, and it depends what grip that person has got. Um, and you could think of well, I was taught this technique where I take my left hand here, put my right hand on my chest pull across on their elbow, drive my hips forward, and that's going to break the grip. But what if you don't have a technique in that particular situation um, to break that kind of grip or the, the stuff that you do know is not working? What Professor Tom often talks about is the idea of reverse engineering. So you start to look at, okay, what is the person doing to prevent me from getting a certain pass, a certain submission, and certain sweep. And they're, 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 they're typically going to be using two or three things. And if we take the the, the, the idea of um, someone defending an arm bar, let's say they're reaching across and they're gripping very tightly on their far, on their far collar. Now, if you reverse engineer and what's allowing them to hold that position, it's, it's, it's a strong grip with their hand on the collar so a lot of people will attack you know towards more towards the elbow joint and try to put pressure you know a lot of pressure and really kind of use a lot of strength and a lot of force which can work but if we think about the most effective way to potentially break that grip well we need to attack the hand the fingers and the wrist not only because they are that that's the main area that's allowing the person to hold that grip in the first place that's what's allowing the defense to work but also you start to attack the weakest part of that limb which is going to be you know the fingers the wrist and the hands so it's one example that hopefully you can visualize but the idea of the concept is when you're in different situations and i i find this quite a lot and I I've never said this, and I hope it doesn't come across this way. But I've, you know, I, I I don't I don't for a second think that I've got the answer to every situation. Far from it. But what I do find is I get into situations where I'm not, you know, absolutely certain what to do. But I stop and I think, and this process can happen very quickly. You know, in real time, the more that you do it. But I stop and I think, okay, what's allowing this person? to defend what I'm trying to attack with at the moment or what am I it could be the reverse I could be defending something what is it the person needs to try to attack me and then I can you know reverse engineer the certain elements of that position of that move I think the armbar is 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 a good example another good good example for the armbar would be let's say someone is you're in, you're in the bottom in in close guard and you're doing an arm bite from close guard and you're trying to pull on the arm but they've wrapped they've placed the 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 arm that you're attacking they've placed that hand on the bicep and are holding either your leg or put they've put their hand behind behind your leg and it's like a rear naked choke position to defend from the arm but hopefully most of you are going to be familiar with that so you can 
what's given them that defence. It's the fact that they've got that second arm there and they're, they're, it's, it's the position of that second arm and they have that second arm to hold on to is what's given them the defence. So you could think about trying to... Uh, you know, attack still the first arm and put a lot of pressure on it and drive your legs and your hips forward to try and break the posture and put more pressure into the arm. Yes, that can work. Or you can think about just removing that arm they're holding on to and there are different ways you can feed. This is going to be incredibly hard to try and explain over a podcast, but there are techniques where you can actually attack that second arm that's providing the defense. And once you remove that second arm, their defense is entirely gone. So that's reverse engineering and something that is, I think is good to put into practice and, and you're not, it's sometimes, it's almost, a, well, it's called reverse engineering, so I suppose it is the reverse. It's not, all right, how am I going to beat this person or beat this defense or beat this counter? It's what's making that counter work and what do, how can I work backwards from that to overcome it? Some, definitely something I wish I'd known um, as a white belt or you know, some knowledge I could have given to my white belt self. So thank you uh, again to Professor Tom on that one. Now, I'm going to two, two other areas I want to touch on. Um, I'll probably move, move through them fairly quickly. Um, both really important. I think with a lot of these, I, there's going to be 10 areas in total once I've finished. And I'm looking at the list at the moment. There's... God, you could put them in any order in terms of importance. But this one, um, I, I picked this up off Lloyd Irvin. Uh, Lloyd Irvin, Lloyd, Lloyd Irvine, how would you pronounce that? Um, not, I'm not sure it's, I don't know. Irvine, you know what you know who I mean. Um, and he's a person who, and I think rightly so, has been, you know, did, did some shitty things over the last couple of years and really fell from fell from favour um, in, in the Jiu-Jitsu world. Um, which I, you know, I won't get into now. You can look that up and, and Google it yourself to see what happened. But you know, to 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 all of the you know the bad side, the bad things that he's done, you know, was uh, well, I think a world champion himself, and you know, a very good coach in that respect. I think that's a little bit hard to take away from him. And one of the things that I picked up from him when I was, I think it was a blue belt, um, but maybe something I didn't do religiously enough until later on, and it's, it's the idea of taking notes. And I don't think that enough people do this after a jujitsu class. And the take, taking notes can take many forms, but it, but at, but at its simplest, after you finished your jujitsu session, it would be writing down what you think, what you thought worked well for you during that class, what you thought didn't work well, and then writing down one specific area you're going to target to work on in your next session. Now, you can do a whole host of other things with your, with your notes if you're really diligent. You can write down you know, every, everything that you potentially learned in that class, all of the moves that you went over. You could, if you listed four or five things that didn't work well, you could think of four or five areas that you could work on in the next session. But I think the process of uh, rethinking what happened in that class, kind of redigesting mentally helps you um, solidify the learning you know visualization as a technique has there's a lot of research to show that it really really helps in sporting performance and learning sporting techniques so that process alone is very important I think uh, you're know, focusing on what went well during the class is good because it reinforces some of the strengths and you go yeah okay that pass that worked really well for me and you, you can, I think you solidify it mentally gives you a lot of confidence as well but you know being, analy- being analytical about what uh, what didn't go well gives you a clear focus of what you need to work on to improve your jiu-jitsu. And I think picking one specific area for the next session is important. I think sometimes if you if you go, you know, we, we think we, we want to learn everything and we want to learn everything really quickly. I'm, I'm incredibly guilty of that and have been for years and I still am. But if we can go in with a singular focus for that class i think we get a lot more out of learning that particular technique trying it out in different scenarios against different different people and you know we've got right i've been training jiu-jitsu now for maybe it's 11 12 years or you know over over a decade and that's a lot of time on the mat so it's a lot of time to learn all of the other things we don't need to learn and cover everything at once so if we try to do too much and have too many goals going into a session then 
I think it's almost um, counter counterproductive. Give yourself one singular focus. Over time, maybe you add in a second or a third, depending on how well it works for you. But for me, I wish I'd done this a bit more diligently at the, right at the start of my career. You know, note taken. I think it was later on blue belt, maybe purple belt. I can't remember exactly. And I still have all my old notebooks. Um, but having that habit. Even if it's just writing it out on on a, on your smartphone, I prefer. I, I used to do pen and paper. Smartphone works for me now. Maybe it's even just you're recording. Um, you know, you're driving. You can't take notes, but maybe you just uh, record audio on your phone and just talk it through. Right? It's, it's it's less to do with going back and referring to the notes. And I'll be honest, ninety five percent of what I've written down, I've never referred back to, with the exception of just checking before the next class. I'm going. I'm going to the mat. Okay, what's my goal for the next class? That's the main thing you need to remember. I think it's more just the mental process of going through these things that can have a huge benefit. So that's definitely something I wish I'd done a lot earlier in my jujitsu career. Now, number ten, uh, last but absolutely not least, is breathing. If you've listened, if you've listened to enough of my shows, followed me on social media, you will know that. I'm a big fan of breathing and I think it's the one area that most people can use to have uh, an almost immediate uh, impact on their performance uh, uh, otherwise people are normally neglecting. Um, I won't talk about why I think people neglect it, I've covered that in other other shows um, of of particular interest would be uh, Patrick McYoung on uh, episode 8 I think it is who covers his oxygen advantage uh, reduced breathing techniques? That's that's a, that's a great listen. I'd highly recommend going back to that show. But breathing it's it's so incredibly important for for performance, uh, physical performance. I'll talk about physical performance first of all. Right, if you don't breathe correctly, then you're going to you know use sometimes use too much oxygen um, or not get enough oxygen in, depending on the situation. Um, you 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 burn out a lot of your energy. You you breathe from the wrong part of your body and create a lot of tension, which then then or breathe from the chest rather than correctly from the diaphragm. That creates a lot of tension within the body. Um, you know it has a big impact on spinal stability. All these factors, which I won't get into in too much detail um, now, but you know it can have a huge physical impact just on how you know you feel fit or unfit just based on your breathing but the other thing that's incredibly important for breathing i find is the psychological side of it when you start breathing through the mouth and through the chest you're putting yourself into more of a a fight uh, you know fight versus flight mode right you you've becoming very aroused physiologically and yes that has a lot of advantages in jiu jitsu but i think that can take take you away from what i like to call you know broad awareness broad awareness but a narrow focus focus of what's going on um, and then you start making bad versus good decisions because you're too worried about winning rather than thinking about the process we could go back to the the, the Point number eight about reverse engineering, where you know you're in a certain situation, and to reverse engineer, you've got to be able to pause and look and go, okay, how do I, or what's making this defence work? How can I, how can I, how can I overcome this defence? And apologies, like I need to move my mic stand. I keep it in that. Apologies, guys. But anyway, I think you need to have a certain level of focus and clarity in your mind to be able to think in real time and ask those questions of yourself when you're training jiu-jitsu and when you're in a a real fight or flight mode you're breathing heavily heavily through the chest and almost kind of not panic fighting would be the wrong word but thinking okay i've got to get this armbar i've got to get this armbar i've got to get this armbar you don't allow you allow yourself enough mental headspace to ask the right questions and to make the right choices when you're fighting. So I think it's that's one example um, of you know why breathing, which can make you a lot more present, um, can have a huge impact in jujitsu. Right, there are times when you're going to breathe through your mouth. Absolutely, there's going to be times when you're going to need to pull with your chest because you're really pushing the limits. But for most of the time, I think being in a control, calm, controlled form of breathing is the best way to be. And if I look at all of the I'm not going to say all of the top fighters, but there are so many top level fighters you can look at. They've got they look like they have so much collection and composure when they're fighting, and quite often are breathing through through the nose. Again, not all the time, but most of the time. And 
I think learning to breathe properly. Look, if if Hicks and Gracie thinks breathing is massively important for jujitsu, and you, you you probably will be aware of all the stuff that he's done. You can see some of the stuff in the chalk documentary. Look, if it's good enough for Hicks and Gracie, then focusing on breathing is good enough. I think for the, for the rest of us mere models. And how much I love and focus on breathing and talk about breathing now absolutely that's something i really wish i could have given to my white belt self um so that's that's the, the number 10 and i like i said last but certainly not least so just to quickly recap what the 10 areas were and i'll put them in the show notes as well so f- number one was good jujitsu is not nice number two is grips 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 number three is learning to properly apply pressure number four is being assertive Number five is moving properly on the bottom, and I'll expand that to moving properly on the bottom without having your your hands or feet on the f- on the floor to create levers um, or create ba- yeah, levers or points of base. Number six is picking up the hips. Number seven is principles or concepts. Number eight is reverse engineering. Number nine is taking notes, and number ten is breathing. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed this. It's been quite interesting for me to sit and think through the areas that I wish I would have known as a white belt. Um, and it's something that, you know, I'm sure in a few years' time I could look back and, you know, say to myself, sitting in this chair, a whole host of other things that I could learn. And that's the beauty of jiu-jitsu, I think. There's always more to learn, more to expand on, more to explore. Uh, it's it's never-ending, right? And it's only limited by the limits, I think, that we place on it. Um, so thank you for listening Um, i'm flying off to las vegas on thursday this week to to compete at the masters worlds Uh, so if you're listening now uh, you know wish me good luck Um, i've got two guests lined up for next week a little bit short on time so couldn't get any guests in this week but two more guests on next week that are going to be i'm hoping very interesting i think they'll be very interesting uh, but with that, the last thing I would say is, you know, if you if you've got the time, you know, please take the time to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform that you listen to. Spread the words to to your friends, your family, to anyone that would be willing to listen to the podcast. Because um, actually, I got my first email from someone this week that was they don't actually train jujitsu but they like the training lifestyle and came to me for advice so maybe there are people that listen that don't train jujitsu um anyway right so share share the podcast out if you think it's it's been useful for you other than that thank you for listening and i'll see you next time